Good afternoon, good evening, folks. Welcome to the Backmarkers F1 show. This is episode 52, recapping the 2019 French Grand Prix, and we're proud to bring back the cameras. We cameras are it, back. We found just a quick solution for uh, this. Will actually be our last episode at this location. Um, Shaker is back in the country uh, tomorrow, so we'll be back with him for our Austrian uh, recap. Or sorry, our preview and our recap. Um, but yeah, we just found a quick workaround to, to give you guys some cameras, put up some little decor here and there. You and could call it a William setup. <laughs> just just it is make, a little bit. Just getting the grid. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just to at least get that's at least to finish, right? Yeah, we try to not DNF. <laughs> yeah, we do that. So, um, you know, it's uh, we're in another situation again where we're talking about a race that was pretty bad. Um, yeah, it I, was. I think if we're all being honest with with ourselves and and with the sport, it, it was a pretty abysmal race. I don't know if it was as bad as Barcelona or Baku, but it's certainly up there. Um, Lewis Hamilton has now led 105 of the 106 laps at Paul Ricard. Paul Ricard, yeah, since it's the 53 return. lap race, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, yeah, he's only not led one lap out of the whole like, which is kudos to Hamilton. Like, yeah, obviously he has that circuit down, and I mean he's the world champion. He's one of the best we'll ever watch, and, and you know it's kind of one of those things where we have the whole you know Messi and Ronaldo argument that they're too good, or not too good, but you know you, you want to see them fail a little bit, but at the same time, kind of I'm starting to kind of realize now that we have to somewhat enjoy watching Hamilton just do this masterclass because there's not going to be many drivers like him down the road. And even though this season is out of the picture, he's, I mean, he's going to win the world title. It's pretty obvious. Um, I know it's not a crazy gap, but it's enough of a gap. Um, Is it down to a season now where it's just enjoy Lewis being Lewis and one of the best ever step or or sit inside of a cockpit? I mean, if you're not a Lewis fan, then that's yeah. going to be hard to do. But it is, but I mean, a, you kind of have to to realize how how and we shit on Lewis so much in this podcast. Yeah, um, mostly because we're envious of him. Um, but I mean, it's just been remarkable what he's done this season, even with Bottas being unbelievable and like this new Valtteri Bottas, and then Lewis was kind of like, "Yeah, I'll, I'll step up my game a little bit more." Then, yeah, he's and, like, "That's cute." Yeah, and now he's <laughs> dominated ever since. I'm glad you actually brought that up because it was a point that I wanted to talk about that the the state of Formula One in the hybrid era has been so boring and has been so one-sided in the favor of Mercedes that we're kind of underappreciating what Lewis Hamilton is doing. 100%. And again, this is coming from somebody who, I'll be honest, I don't, I'm not a big fan of Lewis Hamilton. It's not like I, I hate him or dislike, like I really don't care. But if you were, if I were to rank him, he probably wouldn't be in my top five favorite drivers currently or, or of all time. But when you look at what he's done, sure, he has had the fastest car and he's had the best car, but he's also had to deliver because his teammates like Rosberg and, and, Val, and uh, Valtteri Bottas, they weren't able to do what he's done yeah. in the six seasons of, of the V V6 uh, turbo hybrid era. So Even, like, say we have, say Hamilton's out of the picture. Say it's whoever and Valtteri racing at Mercedes. I don't think we see this domination of Mercedes winning all eight Grand Prix. I think we this see. Season, yeah. I think we see a, a, either a Ferrari or a, a Red Bull step up and and beat Bottas because we've seen that this season where he's put under pressure. We saw in the last little bit of this race as well, couldn't get his tires warm back up, and uh, Charles Leclerc almost passed him on the last lap. Maybe one more lap, Charles would have had him. 
Yeah, um, yeah, I think he would have. So it, it all comes down to Lewis just being you know, that much better than everyone else, I think, is why we're seeing this. I mean, obviously the Mercedes is a great car, but I think a huge part of this Mercedes domination has to be the domination of Lewis Hamilton. Yeah, and I think part of the reason this season is just because of the underperformance of all the other teams is why the gap is so big. Right. But we saw in 2018 that when it got close, Hamilton still got on top and won the championship quite comfortably in the end. Now we want to see more seasons of that because I think that Vettel eventually, another two to three seasons battling like that, would eventually come out on top. Probably Hamilton more times than, than Vettel would, but you know this season we've kind of been robbed of seeing that again. Yeah. But you're, so, you're slowly starting to see Hamilton catch all of Schumacher's records. I mean, just to quickly go over them, he's got that was his 79th win. Michael has 91. Right, yeah, 91. 91, yeah. So there's 13 races to go. If Hamilton were to win all the races from now until Abu Dhabi, he would surpass that record in, in Abu Dhabi, which would be pretty crazy. But, I mean, he's going to surpass that record either way. Yeah. Because that Mercedes car is still going to be good next season. Maybe 2021 they would take a step back, but probably not even Maybe. then. Maybe. Or they could be a step forward, and they're just unbelievable even more. Yep. And he's on pace, like you said, for his sixth world title. One away then from Michael's record of seven. And he's probably still going to race for another, let's say... Two, three years? Two, three years. Yeah, exactly. So he could get eight if other teams don't step up their performances. So he's already got more pole positions than him. There's a bunch of other records that he's closing in on when we kind of put the benchmark as Michael as being the greatest of all time. So whether you like him or not, he's definitely doing something that might not be seen again for another long time. And like I said, it's kind of hard to appreciate just because the racing and the gaps between the other teams is so far. Yeah. But I think there's a legit argument that you can make that even if, if it was close, Hamilton would still be the one on top. And I think 2018 was kind of the evidence of that. I think so too. I mean, we had two manufacturers that are close with each other and you just saw it, you know, after the summer break, yes, you know, Ferrari took a step back and Vettel made a lot of costly errors, but guess who didn't make those errors? It was, it was Hamilton. He was right there Correct. at Pounce. He was very smart in his driving and, you know, clinical with it. And that's what won him his fifth world championship. And it seems like he's doing it very easily. Like, you know, he's at Paris fashion week and he seems really focused on life. stuff outside of, uh, out of the sport. And then he just turns up and, puts in a stormer of a lap and then even during the race he's reporting issues of his seat and some different kind of tire things and then it's just fastest lap after fastest lap after fastest lap i thought it was a malfunction of the graphics for once i just think he's he's like just screwing with everyone like trying to give him the whole play like, where yeah. it's like oh this is actually going wrong and he's like not nah, just kidding yeah and just dominating no nope. yeah he definitely is and I mean, obviously, he he might not tell you it's that easy, and the team will probably not say it's that easy. From an outsider's, it just looks like it was just such a comfortable weekend for them. But, uh, yeah, so it, it's interesting. I think that if the racing would be a lot closer, and like you said, two or three teams would be involved, then we'd appreciate what he's doing a little bit more. But I think it'll take probably a good five to ten years after he's retired to realize, like, oh, like this guy was yeah, way better than what we gave him credit for. Um, so, Are Ferrari scrambling now a little bit? Because, I mean, we saw, you know, before the race started, their request for review was... Yeah, I just wanted to mention. <laughs> ...was Karun Chandok's Skypad. What mean, did you think of that when you saw that? I was like, come on, guys. Like, obviously, they, they have the same angles. Like, Karun Chandok explaining it is not going to change the FIA's review of it. Yeah. Um, I'm a little disappointed that they didn't take three points off his super license because... 
I don't think he deserved those points. Um, but sky, it's a sky pad. It's not gonna. It's meant for TVs. It's meant to cause um, communicate. Well, not communication. Um, argument. I don't know what the word I'm talking. Debate. About. Yeah. De- thank you. Debate. That's the word. Wow. <laughs> A B C D. There you go. Right, you're on Plan D now. Yeah, Plan D. Yeah, or some, didn't Ferrari say they were on Plan F at some point? Yeah, it was Plan f- Fail. It stands for Fuck It. Yeah. <laughs> at that point, it yeah. was like. Um. Anyways, Ferrari need to give their heads a shake a little bit. It was hilarious to me that that was, and most of what they submitted to was stuff that the FIA already saw yeah. or had. Like one of them was the onboard of Vettel facing his helmet, for example. But when I saw that, that. That was one piece of evidence. Like, and we mentioned this before in, in the pre in the build up to this race is it, in order for this to even go ahead in front of the FIA, like you need to have some really overwhelmingly strong evidence oh, yeah. that they haven't seen before. And you not only did you give them everything that they've already seen, you give them an analysis of a broadcaster. Yeah. Like, and do you know what the worst part about it is? Laurent Mekis, who's their sporting director, he worked for the FIA. He oh. came over last year. He was working for the FIA, so he should have known above anybody. Like, I can understand there's some, you know, numbskulls at Ferrari that would just be like, yeah, whatever, just submit it. Just submit it, yeah. But he should know above everybody else that, like, hey, guys, like, this isn't going to be good enough. So I think at the end of the day, it was just this it should political be more move. Like, hey, guys, this is going to look silly. Don't do it. Exactly, because <laughs> we're going to look even worse than yeah. what we already have leading up to this season. So. Yeah, to me, it was just almost like a political show, but it really did seem like it distracted the team, especially Vettel, in, in terms of what his result ended up. So getting back to your original point, I mean, the season's over now for them. This Canada, if they would have won that race, you would have given them a little bit of hope and say, okay, maybe we can build some momentum with a couple favorable races coming up. But now the gap's just too big. The upgrades that you brought on in France didn't work in the way you wanted it to work. Austria, you might have a good chance of winning the race there, but after that, you're facing some difficult tracks. And if they're not figuring out any of their aerodynamic issues, I mean, they're they're not going to be able to do much. Only hope being that after the summer break, Mercedes has a little bit of a slump and they can win the majority of the races. But, I mean, in terms of the championship, constructors, forget about it. Drivers, you need an absolute miracle. Yeah, you need a miracle both ways. Um, I don't think, have we had a... A year so far, even in the turbo hybrid area, that it's been the championship has pretty much been over, and it's a third of the way through the season. Yeah, I, I mean, guess it's it, just over a third, but you know what I'm getting at. Maybe 2016, although it was close with Hamilton and Rosberg. I mean, I think Mercedes won 19 out of 21 that year. Yeah, um, I'm even talking drivers too. Like, it doesn't seem like anyone's going to catch Hamilton. Yeah, because you know, even Valtteri slipped off a lot, which surprised me. Because a lot of people mentioned that in our comments when we were praising him early on this season, and like, I want to see him keep it up, and I'm be like, don't worry, he will. And so far, he hasn't. So that's yeah. disappointed me a little bit because I mean, that gap now is 36. So that's that's huge. That's yeah. one race win in hand uh, if there's a DNF. So I mean, it's not over for Valtteri just yet. There's still 13 races to go, but that's a pretty significant gap as well. And it just it seemed like it all happened so quickly kind of just seems like a race ago that Valtteri was taking pole positions and now yeah. Lewis has won what six races to six to two. Is two yeah six to two which is a very big gap at yep. that point um yeah it looks kind of bleak for the rest of the season doesn't it I mean hopefully Austria kind of gives us some fun experiences yeah I mean it's a first back-to-back right so 
it's just disappointing because you know typically you're excited on a race week and after that you're just like oh there's another one of these coming yeah. up <laughs> oh here we go <laughs> yeah but uh and austria is a great track for mercedes so yeah i mean you know i think that it's f- we'll, we'll get more into that in the preview, in the preview but yeah you know, we saw red bull obviously win last year but yeah it has been good for mercedes since the return there um but uh, I was just about to mention something, but it just uh, slipped off the top oh, of my mind. My apologies. Um, I, I think it was just more getting to the Paul Ricard circuit. Right. Um, no, okay, so that's what it was. When you mentioned Austria was a great track. The reason why it's a great track, too, is because it penalizes drivers for leaving the track. And this can lead into the whole incident that didn't get shown on the broadcast. With uh, Danny Rick. That's right. And it was funny because we were mentioning this. We were like, wouldn't it be funny if somebody like went off the track and re-entered and got penalties again like wouldn't that be hilarious and it happened it did happen it happened in practice it happened in the race and once again we're talking about penalties deciding key moments in the race because that was the only really exciting part of the race (laughs) which we didn't get to see yeah we didn't really get to see it um they were showing the bottas leclerc battle they chased down i guess you could call it um yeah, unfortunately, it was a really great battle between three drivers. You know, they were going three, three, one in that, uh, into that chicane, and you know, it seemed like Ricardo maybe have just overshot the corner a little bit. It was tough to see if he got if he kept all four tires on track. I mean, he he almost did. He, you know, he maybe was a little bit off, but um, the re-entry, I thought Lando got a little scared and just. Um, Know, booted out to the yeah. to the left. He could have probably kept with it. Um, the the pass on Raikkonen was a hundred percent penalty. Um, that's fair. I I'm okay with that. Um, I don't know. I think it's just good hard racing though. But you could let us know in the comments below. I mean, <laughs> this went well last this time. This went well last time. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. It, it's tough. It's it's a hard one to decide. Um, I know Danny Rick wasn't very happy with the penalties. Um, you heard. Well, you didn't really hear it, but you could um, look at it on his Twitter. Um, I mean, two five-second penalties dropped him down from 7th to 11th. Um, A tough day for Danny Rick because he he did race pretty well. Um, Not the best driver on the track. I think it was who that incident was against, and now it's Lando Norris. Right. I think he was the best driver on the the best performance, I guess you could say. Um. Yeah, those are just, just one of those things, right? Just one of those things where yeah. it's like, oh, it sucks that happened. I I, I agree with the FIA 100 on the pass with Raikkonen. Even when I watched the replay of that when they showed it after the broadcast, I was like, ooh, he's probably gonna get called for that yeah, one. Yeah, you can expect it. Um, but I wasn't expecting the first one. I thought maybe like they could look at it, and the only reason I said they could look at that is because of what happened last week. And right. I think. The main reason they gave Ricardo that penalty is to keep in with, you know, the um, consistency of giving up penalties for that reason. And that's probably why they gave it to Ricardo for the first pass in the chicane. Consistency. Yeah. Because if they don't give a penalty to Ricardo there, Vettel's going, are you serious? Like, it's the exact same thing pretty much. Well, yeah. And, and I mean, you know, I don't know if we mentioned it even before in, in all that mess of the aftermath there. But, you know, there's a similar incident between Hamilton and Ricardo kind of identical to Canada that didn't get penalized. So it's not always consistent, but I think they've been trying harder in the last couple of years. Yeah. Um, you know, my take on it when I, when I saw it after, uh, after the race, I agree. I think it's just good, hard racing. You're looking at it's the last lap. 
and they're fighting for position, the final points positions. I think that when you look at the footage, Ricardo kind of goes a little bit out of shape and tries to re-enter the track because I think in Ricardo's mind, he's thinking, I don't want to cut the chicane because then I'm going to have to give up the position. So he's kind of fighting two regulations at the same time. Right. And he made up his mind that, okay, I'm just going to slow down because he did. He slowed down. He even set himself. He downshifted quite a few gears to stay on the track. So, again, I don't think that should have been a penalty because I think, like you said, it's good hard racing. I think Lando took evasive action probably a little bit earlier. I think he might have been fine. They might have touched. They might have. Um, well, in the end, Lando would have kept the position, I think, if he didn't go off track. Yeah. And I think you're looking at, honestly, he probably would have lost those positions either way with the mechanical issues that he was dealing yeah, with. Yeah, but, I mean, kudos for him for the job he did to yeah to save that McLaren. Yeah, he, was, he was great. amazing all weekend. For sure. Same with so, Carlos Sainz. Yeah, yeah, and and we'll get to McLaren because they were they were great in in France. So, but yeah, I agree. The second penalty, I mean that that's clearly the regulation, and it's different from the Vettel Hamilton one, right? Yeah, like, he literally he drove off tracks to make a pass on yeah. Raikkonen. And you can have a debate on the Vettel Hamilton, like was it unsafe? Was it safe? This one, there's no debate really. All no. four wheels all off the track. He made the overtake. The problem I have with I mean, it again, Raikkonen was a nice guy and didn't stay in front of him. He actually moved over to so that Ricardo wouldn't crash into the. The breaking boards. Mm-hmm. I mean, Raikkonen was like, "Oh, okay, I guess I'll move <laughs> over." Like, you know, I'm not gonna, you know, he just kind of sees like a crazy kamikaze coming on his outside. It's like, "Oh, I'm steering away from this." Right. Um. So yeah, kudos for Raikkonen for having the awareness to kind of save Ricardo there, um, because Ricardo's going full send on that outside. And kudos to what he said post race too. He's like, "Yeah, I'm not sure what's gonna happen, but I thought it was good fun racing." So yeah, he wasn't really like, "Oh, penalize him." No, no, which is nice. I mean, um, Raikkonen's old school. He had. He had a fun time in oh yeah <laughs> in uh, France. He said, "I think he said he had a good time or a fun time." Yeah, like that. yeah, for sure. Um, and yeah, that's the thing is that the the problem is is that once again we have the FIA kind of deciding things for us instead of the drivers deciding the results. And I get it. Like I'm not saying that you don't penalize something that's blatantly a penalty, but right. getting back to what the conversation has been the last couple of weeks, there needs to be a massive change in review in the regulations. I think in the track layouts as well too, because part of the issue is Circuit Paul Ricard is a parking lot. So I mean, these drivers—they're paid to get around as fast as possible. They're paid to overtake. They're going to use whatever tracks available to them. Well, we saw on the first on the opening lap was it uh, Carlos Sainz? Oh no, sorry, it was uh, Sergio Perez. Perez, yeah. There's another penalty. Uh, a penalty, but he did everything. Like I was, I was confused, but he did everything right. He went into the penalty zone area. And, you know, went back on track. And, yeah, he well, he had gained positions doing that, but he did everything in regulation. Yeah. I mean, was it a bad penalty area? Maybe, you know, it was too fast for people, that, you know, what people thought. Um, but I don't know what more Sergio Perez could do there. I think the overwhelming issue with that was that he overtook Magnuson, I think. So he came out ahead, so he gained a position. So, right, but he went in the penalty area. Right, and and that was the confusing part too for me. It was so like, like, is the penalty area just faster, or is it because it's the first lap? Right. Yeah, so I think that was the the overwhelming. But it was confusing in the end because you're not exactly sure what he's supposed to do. Is he supposed to slow down a bit more and, and let the other cars pass? But there's such a close pack of cars coming. You don't want to, you know, you'd have lost four positions. Five. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so there's another kind of discrepancy that the drivers really aren't sure about 
And um, man, it would be fun if they brought back those YouTube videos of inside the drivers' meeting. For that I know. Race, oh, I, man. I would love to be inside of. What, I was thinking about that. What yeah. it was in France and Austria now. Yeah, it would Austria be great. is good. Everyone's gonna be like, "What is going on?" And you know, I think what's an important point too is you know, as much as we can shit on the regulations too, because when watching the IndyCar race this past weekend, oh, did just you watch it too? I was, gonna, I was gonna mention something about that as well. I mean, look, I mean, there's great overtaking. There's great wheel-to-wheel action. Sometimes you can consider it hard, aggressive, whatever you want to call it. But the stewards, I mean, they don't step in. It's American. Yeah. It's not FIA sanctioned, though, remember? I mean, that's one of the reasons why, though. Maybe the FIA needs to step back a little bit here and and let these guys race. Because when you've got such a boring race like France, and then you finally have this one moment of excitement, and then what happens? It gets killed by penalties again. Yeah. So, but the part of the problem is, and, and people did make comments about this in the comments, and it is a good point. Part of the, the reason to blame is also the drivers, because in the end of the day, the drivers are the first ones that will get on team radio and ask the stewards to look at something. Right. I mean, Grosjean wants everything to be looked at. Everything. Even like a clean DRS overtake, he reports to the stewards. Yeah. Check that out, please. So, you know, whether it's Hamilton on the radio, you know, Vettel's done it before, pretty much all the drivers except maybe like Ricardo Raikkonen doesn't yeah Raikkonen really. because he's a bit more old school so that's part of the problem too is that the drivers also want these these things to be penalized in the end which is kind of why the FIA changed sort of these things but yeah I mean when we look at the IndyCar side of things it's like completely different um Alex Rossi former F1 driver now racing in IndyCar um put on an absolute clinic at Road America yeah he did um I know we don't see this often. We usually see F1 drivers go to IndyCar when they get kind of shafted from their teams. Marcus Erickson. Um, there's another driver on the grid right now, too. I just can't think who it is. Um, I think, and this might be a, an interesting take, but I think Alex Rossi deserves an F1 seat. And I think he deserves a seat at Haas. Because how... It just makes sense. An American driver mm. on an American team maybe replaces Grosjean. Um, he's been outstanding in IndyCar ever since he got there. Um, he's been outstanding, you know, just it, this weekend. He drove a masterclass. He, he was killing everyone by 20 seconds. And, and it's not like there's a a manufacturer. Um, uh, I can't think of words today. <laughs> uh, it, there's not like there's like, like a, a works team. Yeah, right? it's not like there's a Mercedes dominant team. In IndyCar, everyone has the same aero package. Everyone has, you know, there's two different engine suppliers. Mostly all you have to change is your setup. That's all you have. Right. And, you know, it's all down to the drivers. And Rossi was unbelievable this past weekend. He's been great all season. Um, and I really think he deserves a seat in F1 for next year at Haas. He might be too aggressive, though. FIA standards, be. right? They might give him a race ban. But I think that's a great point. And I didn't even really think about that because I started to think of you know, Grosjean hasn't had the best last couple of years, and it's continuing now into 2019. Granted that the Haas car has not been good this year, and he's had four mechanical failures as well. Yeah. But there's been at times where, obviously, Kevin Magnussen has outclassed him, and they renewed his contract, but there was some talk we saw in the Netflix series that, you know, it was a little bit dicey at times. So I think for Haas, too, they want to break more into the U.S. market to have a U.S. driver. Or an American driver. I mean, Magnussen's, you know, as American as you can get, be being European, um, I think. Um, but bringing Alex Rossi in, I think, would be awesome. I think it would be great for this for this sport growing in the USA. And he's also just a good driver. So, I mean, he had a shot when he was younger. 
He's more matured. I mean, he's, he hasn't been in F1 for a long time. Yeah, and he uh, only was there for, I think, a couple races. Couple, it wasn't much. It wasn't much. Um, he's grown a lot as a driver. As he, like, you can tell, you know, watching him race in IndyCar. Um, and I think it's it's his time to shine. I think he's in that kind of peak performance where he's in his he's in his driving prime right now. Yeah, and what a driver pairing that would be with Kevin Magnussen. Those would be, would be one awesome. One of the most feared lineups on, on the grid. Yeah, and it'd be awesome to look at. So, yeah. anyways, that's my pitch to Haas. Maybe they're listening. I think it's good. I think for a young team, for an, actually, it's a pitch to an F one team to sign the guy. Yeah, but Haas makes the most sense, right? Yeah. I mean, if you're gonna have an American driver, you put him with the American team. Um, it's like for, having a Canadian driver with a Canadian team. Right. You know, Lance Stroll and, and Racing Point. Now. Yeah. <laughs> Even though it's not officially, but, um, you, you know, you get the point. So, yeah, it's interesting. We'll, we'll see what happens with Grosjean at the end of the season. But, yeah, I mean, two completely different series. You know, we understand that. and Yeah, I, it's different racing. I'd, I'd give IndyCar a chance, though, if you've never watched it or if you don't really. And you know, if you're not into oval racing, they, they do obviously do road courses as well yeah. and the road courses are a lot more exciting than the oval races i find in any car um but the it, oval racing is a lot different than road racing for obvious reasons um but rossi's been very good on the road courses i, I haven't kept track on his oval progress but yeah i oh, don't know he's great on the I'm ovals sure he, too yeah i'm yeah. sure he's great he almost did he win in any 500 yeah in his rookie season yeah exactly yeah almost won it again this season so i mean yeah, he he's a, he's a very competent driver on on all sorts, and the IndyCar tracks too. Their road circuits, they're old school circuits. You know, we're talking a lot of grass, gravel. Road America would be so fun to watch F1 cars go. It would around. be great. I mean, you know, Barber Motorsport as well. That's a, that's a good track. Uh, Sonoma's another really they good race track. At Sebring, I believe. Yeah, Sonoma this weekend hosted the NASCARs. Yeah, I have that PVR. I don't know who won. Don't spoil it. I think they're not making a return, but like uh, Laguna Seca in California, mm. as well as another. It's not an IndyCar track, but it's more of a kind of a sports car track. But, yeah, you know, something like that's a more old school type of circuit. So, I think if Formula One went back to using those types of circuits, because when we go back to the Ricardo incident, you have grass there. He's not going to go there. And we're not going to have to worry about track limit penalties. And that's why I'm interested to see Zandvoort next year. Did I pronounce that right? Uh, yeah, if I think not, so. the Dutch fans will The Dutch will me. let us know. <laughs> um, but uh, that's going to be a fantastic because that's an old school circuit. I'm really, really it's very narrow, right? Very narrow, uh, grass everywhere. Um, it might be tough for overtaking. We'll have to see. But I mean, you just need those aggressive drivers to be aggressive in that scenario. Yeah, for sure. So let us know what you thought about the penalties. Um, you know, I think a lot of people will be maybe in a disagreement with how we sort of reviewed the penalties. But my biggest problem, again, is just I don't want penalties deciding the race. Right. And I always go back to that Mario Andretti tweet saying the stewards really just should be there to penalize blatantly unsafe maneuvers. Yeah. And I think that's what we need to get back to. I think that these drivers at their core really want to race each other as long as it's done so fair and clean and it's not aggressive and it's not dangerous you know like the high speed dangerous stuff like yeah i mean that should be penalized uh you know we don't want to see cars going airborne like we did last season and and things that are really dangerous yeah um but in terms of just bumping wheels here and there a little bit and 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 these types of incidents you know it's tough but i get it it's the regulation you have to penalize it i just don't agree with the regulation i think it needs to be reviewed so i just hope that we won't have to talk too much more about penalties uh, this season and just transitioning into just the last couple of things you mentioned Grosjean and, and he's kind of on the hot seat I want to mention another driver that really had probably his worst weekend ever in Formula One and that's Pierre Gasly yeah he hasn't been good 
and you want to talk about that seat burning a little bit of a hole. I recently saw a picture at this weekend, Helmut Marco and Denny Kvyat's manager having a meeting at the Toro Rosso home, uh, motorhome. You know, no rumors hearing anything like that. They just saw the, the meeting happening. But Pierre Gasly, he did finish 10th because of the penalties, bumped him up to one point. But Daniel Ricciardo and a Renault passed him. Two McLarens finished ahead of him. Um, I see, is it last week or the week before? But I said that Danny Kvyat should replace Pierre Gasly. I think you seat. said it last week. Was it last week? I think it should happen. Kvyat's been racing unbelievable. Um, he's been very aggressive. He's made his presence known. And he's pulled off some great moves. And he's getting good results in uh, in the Toro Rosso. He's been better than Albon. Um, he's probably been one of the better you know, midfield drivers mm-hmm. so far this season. I'd put him behind Norris, Sainz, um, Ricardo, maybe. Um, Raikkonen, I'd put him behind as well. But he's been up there. Yeah, uh, He's been better than a lot of other drivers as well. Why not give him a shot? Provide some entertaining, some entertaining uh, races up front. Yeah, he'd give Max a good, uh, a good challenge, and he'd probably uh, cause a little bit of controversy in the meantime. Why not? Yeah, we need well, something this season. Yeah, we do really. I think it would be something to to talk about. It's for something sure. we'd see the summer break. No, I, I would say so. Yeah, and and again, like you know, I feel bad for for Pierre Gasly, but I, I think it's just a little bit too early for him. Yeah, I think he needs just a little bit more grooming at Toro Rosso. And I think it's unlucky for him, too, with the car. Not, I mean, if the car was maybe last year's car, a little bit drivable and, and with more performance, maybe it would have masked a little bit of the errors. But when you saw even in qualifying, he was he went out on a soft tire and was being out-qualified by guys on the medium. Yeah. I mean, like Hulkenberg, Ricardo, the McLarens, they all went out on the medium, and Gasly was like half a tenth a second slower. And it's not that Gasly's not a good driver. Um, I think he is an F1 talent. And I think he's gonna be a great driver down the line. I just maybe not the right timing to put him up there. I think he just needs a little more grooming. Yeah. Um, a little bit more experience than before moving up. And we saw it with, you know, Perez a long time ago with, with uh, McLaren. Right. Um, needed a little more grooming. Um, we saw it with Danny Kvyat. <laughs> needed a little more grooming. Yeah. Yeah. Um, you know, it's 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 an idea for Red Bull, and it might. I think it has a strong possibility of happening. The only question is, if you're Red Bull, do you go down the Kvyat road again? Um, I think so. Why not? Yeah, Maybe I mean, Max will win a race. Yeah, for sure. Like, he, <laughs> he's improved a lot from, from when he came over in 2016. Yeah. I mean, he's, he's a different driver. And yeah, the way the way that he handled his departure from Red Bull was good as well. You know, not burning that bridge and, and leaving the door open for a comeback, which right. you know, we only had a year off, so it's not too bad. So... I think really Red Bull is kind of out of other options at this moment when you look at the driver market. Maybe in the offseason they'd have a little more options to maybe try and persuade Ocon out of his Mercedes contract to give him a drive. Maybe. Because that's always open. Because right now we're not exactly sure where Ocon would be able to fit in, right? Yeah, I mean, we've talked about it before. It'd be a bit of a crazy partnership. But I I think Red Bull have shown in the past, and definitely Helmut Marco, that they're not just going to keep a guy in there that's struggling. They want results. And Max has completely outclassed him. So they need that other driver that's going to at least close the gap because, you know, you don't want a, your teammate being a second faster than you weekend after weekend. And it just doesn't look good. No, no, I mean, not it, at all. If him and Albon, you know, race close together, then, you know, they can kind of learn on and grow together. And then maybe that's your pairing of the future. 
knowing you know wherever Max might go down the line, I mean, right. maybe he'll stay with Red Bull. Who knows? Yep. That's, that's a conversation for probably two, three years down the line. Yeah, so we'll keep an eye out in the coming weeks before the summer break, but unfortunately for Pierre Gasly, I think that he's you know, he's really got to show something here in Austria, especially at their home race. Yeah, he's got to have a strong performance yeah. from now until the summer break. Uh, well, the rest of the season, but especially now to the summer break. Exactly, yeah. He needs a good good finish there. Um, and, and one of the last things, uh, McLaren. You know, we want to talk a, a little bit about McLaren because they were a team that they said that this track wasn't necessarily going to be that great for, for their car and their setup. But from out of the gate in the first couple of practice sessions, they were quick. Lando Norris was in fourth position, like consistently um, setting fast times. And then in qualifying, they had a good qualifying. And in the race too, they were, they were running well. And unfortunately, Lando Norris had his issues in the end mechanically. But a hydraulic issue, but really well done to maintain that. I mean, that's scary. No DRS. Um, you know, power steering was going down the drain as the laps continued. Mm-hmm. And, you know, throttle management and gear shifts were a little slower. Everything hydraulic. It just... Hydraulic issues always get worse. Yeah. Um, but he did a fantastic job of, of nursing that McLaren to what was a points finish uh, because of the penalties. And... Um, yeah, I don't. Know. He just he he was the best driver in France by far, um, and McLaren were the most impressive in France by far, and I think that's huge going forward. I mean, you know, they've they've jumped Renault uh, in this kind of who's going to challenge the top three. I think McLaren, with all their development, could be the ones that are up in the top three. Well, I guess you'd call it the top four mm-hmm. um, before Renault. And now they've also invested in building a wind tunnel for themselves. Um, yeah, because they were using uh, Toyotas, Toyotas in right. Cologne. I think quite a few teams actually use, yeah. use Toyotas. Um, but yeah, so they're investing in that, which is good news because that tells us that they're going to be in they the sport. <laughs> yeah, well, that too. <laughs> um, the only thing that concerns me with McLaren is they're dipping their toes in a lot of other areas. Like they've looked at maybe an entrant into the IndyCar season. They're looking at possibly building something for Le Mans. Uh, a return to Le Mans, and then obviously their massive road car production. And it kind of correlates to the time when they ramped up their road car production, their results in F1 started to kind of go down the drain a little bit. So hopefully that doesn't take away from Formula One. I think maybe they learned from their last mistake and now have more manpower to, to do that. Um, obviously, I don't know. I don't work at McLaren. Yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, you would hope they learned from their mistake last time. Because um, it's always nice to see McLaren up at the front. They've been there forever. Um, they've been a, a constant in Formula One for the longest time. Um, it's like how we all want Williams to be up at the front again as well. Yeah. Um, obviously, we can't have everyone up at the front. We like to see everyone up at the front, but well, it's not possible. Someone has to be last. We just want to see the gaps closed. That's yeah, all. Yeah, I think that's exactly what we want to see. Yeah, we want to see five to six teams winning a race each year. Yeah. Well, for sure. And, you know, just quickly on Williams, too, they had a good battle between Russell and Kubica. And, they did. And Russell had a great overtake. And, you know, that's the hard thing, right, is they're, they're battling for 19th and 20th. And for sure, I mean, every sport has to have somebody that finishes last. But, I mean, even the worst team in the NHL or the NBA, on a good night, they can still beat, you know, the Golden State Warriors or the Toronto Raptors, right? But, I mean, on Williams' best day, they might finish 17th. Yeah. They have no chance of winning the race. And even the likes of McLaren or Renault, on your best day, you would need mechanical failures up to the whole grid in order to get a podium. So that that's the problem with where the sport is right now. It's at the moment just one team 
have the chance to winning the races. You know, last year we had three, which was an improvement. Yeah. But that can be even better. You know, imagine if we did have four or five teams in contention for races. Maybe not at every track, but at some tracks, it would make it a lot more exciting. So, I don't know what what's going to happen in 2021. They've delayed the, the whole regulation yeah. changes, but I'm not really optimistic about the 2021 regs either. I think you have to be. I'm just, you got to hope. It's just for the sake of it. You just got to hope that it's going to be a little closer for everyone. If you're the owners in, in Liberty Media, you, you better hope that they change for the good because yeah. a lot of people were super pissed after this race. Yeah. And, I mean, like I said, I don't know if it was the worst F1 race ever. Probably not. But no, some I don't people think were, so, but... were going that far. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's you just have to be honest, right? Like, we're not going to come on here and say that, oh, this was a great race just to boost views or whatever like we're, we're gonna be honest it was a boring race it was a boring race and um, you know after i actually ended up falling asleep yeah you laps. were telling me yeah <laughs> i accidentally i tried to stay up and i legit fell asleep i think it was between laps uh 32 and 42 or something like that most people did yeah I, halfway i think around like lap 30 i started to play at like you know two times speed because it was a beautiful summer day outside i'm like what am i wasting my time here for i yeah. know what's gonna happen and then when it got to the last lap with the action, you know, they decided to cut to Bottas and Leclerc. Which was, like, I understand that from a director's point is for a podium position. Yeah. I just was hoping they would go right back to the Ricardo battle, you know, right away after they crossed the line. Uh, but they didn't, which sucked. Yeah, I think the problem is that, I mean, once you commit to that, you have to stay on it. Uh, just once they cross the line and then just go back. Right, right, yeah. But they didn't. Because, I mean, they they have sort of an obligation. They obviously got to show the race winner crossing the line. And, you know, I, I'm thinking that because it's Ferrari and Mercedes, you know, the bigger sponsors, they want to make sure that they get that battle uh, on camera. Also, because it is for a podium. And, you know, even though the, the better racing was at the back, with all due respect, it's for, you know, two, four points. Yeah. So Six points in Reckon's case. Right, yeah. <laughs> Unfortunately, it, it wasn't shown, which sucked because it was really the only good battle. big moment of the race. So, yeah, we'll see what happens in, in Austria. I mean, um, you know, uh, a Lance Stroll update if we can quickly do one before we go. Um, again, you know, poor qualifying. Yeah, second off Perez in, in the last sector. You know, and it, he didn't say there was a car problem. He said, yeah, I have to look into where he found all that pace. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's... It, to me, he's a good qualifier because I always think back to what he did in Monza in the rain right. in 2017. I, I think it's half driver, half car as well, but he's got a, what Perez is doing. He's finding the most out of the car. Yeah. That's what Lance Stroll has to do. But he did well in the race once again. Like he's Great he's, race again, yeah. He's been very good on his tires, and that's you've seen how much it's helped him. Um, and I think that Perez also, because Hulkenberg was saying when he was teammates, he learned a lot about how to save rear tires because Sergio's like the master right. at making tires last long. So I think maybe he's passed on some of that knowledge to to Lance Stroll because that was one of the areas he struggled the most entering F1. You know, always locking up flat spotting tires, but he seemed to kind of figure that out now. And he made the first stint last like thirty Crazy. some odd laps or yeah. something more maybe. So yeah, he's just got to qualify better. We've been saying this for you know weeks now. Yeah. But it wasn't as bad of a weekend for Racing Point as what they thought. This was, no, for actually, them, the worst track, according to them. Yeah, no, it wasn't that bad. Um, kind of, I thought they were, the way they were talking, I thought they were going to be fighting Williams for 19th. Yeah, but, seriously. Uh, no, they, it wasn't as bad as they thought they would be. So, onwards and upwards for Racing Point. Yep, yep, for sure. And, uh, yeah, I think that about does it for, for the French Grand Prix. We tried to squeeze out as much as we can in, in what was a pretty uneventful race, but I think we covered the most of it. Um, shout out to Williams 
a 1.97 second pit stop. Yeah. They've been killing it that's this year. Under, that's stops. three weeks in a row? I think so, yeah. Imagine that was on, like, a, if they were fighting for positions. Right. 1.97 seconds. That's, so a, that's amazing. That's the DHL fastest. I was going to mention that, so thank you. Um, DHL fastest lap award again, or fastest pit stop award again. Um, well done, man. Marvin Williams. Yeah. They're leading something, and that's all that matters. They can cheer about something, right? Yeah. I wonder if they get any prize money or something for that, but... I hope so. Uh, they, should, they deserve it. They've but been working hard. It's, is that a record? 1.97? Wait, wait, what's... I know Red Bull has the record or had the record. I gotta say it's close. Maybe it's 1.92 uh, for If you Red can Bull. stall for, like... You'll find out, yeah. Like 30 seconds, I can find out. Well, it is Red Bull, and I think they said it in the V8 era, but they were known for their really quick pit stops. And, and to this day, still, they, they have a really efficient pit crew. Um, Mercedes has always had a good one as well, but Williams this season has really been known for, for their speed. So Oh, I got it. Um, they were close to the record. The oh, fastest yeah? pit stop is a 2013 U.S. Grand Prix Red Bull and Mark Webber, 1.2... Oh, sorry, 1.923 seconds. Oh, there we go. Um... In the 2016 European Grand Prix, the Williams team completed a pit stop for Felipe Massa, Massa in 1.92 seconds as well. So they're both 1.92 seconds, Williams and yeah. Red Bull. Wow. That's so crazy. if you're getting faster every week, maybe by Belgium, 1.91. Maybe. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I hope so. I hope they get. I hope they get the world record. That'd be awesome. Yeah. They beat their own world record, but still, I'm fine with it. No, good for them. Good for them. It's it's something that they can at least kind of go back to the factory and say hey we're, we're really good we're the best in this area yeah so so that's nice for them um but that will do it for us uh, in our french Grand prix french grand prix recap um let us know in the comments what you thought of the race i'd be interested to see if anybody, you can rant in the comments below maybe up. maybe some of go you guys ahead. enjoyed the race maybe you were watching a different race in, in that case because <laughs> i don't know well, we'll see what people say but uh, let us know about the incidents as well and what you think and, um, you know, drop us uh, your predictions also for the Austrian Grand Prix. We'll be doing a separate preview yeah. for that, obviously, uh, in the next couple of days because it is the first back-to-back of the season, and it is ramping up just before the summer break. So fingers crossed for a better race in Austria, but it's a good track there in Spielberg. So yeah, I love I love Austria. Red Bull Ring should great, be good. Great racetrack. And I'm looking forward to all the great Dutch supporters that will mm. come out for, for Max. So, yeah. so that should be fun, as always. Great atmosphere. Belgium as well, and so that should be good. Yeah, I really want to go to Zandvoort. Yeah. That's gonna be oh, the Dutch fans are just the best, aren't they? We'll try and work it out. We'll, we should contact the track. Let us know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks, folks, and uh, we'll see you in a couple days for the Austrian Grand Prix preview.